Earlier in the fall, I introduced to the congregation a book by Bishop Robert Schnees. It's entitled, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. Bishop Schnees identifies a handful of principles that growing congregations embrace. And they include things like radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and extraordinary generosity. The last practice was our emphasis during our fall stewardship campaign. As we explored, what does it look like to be a people of extravagant generosity? As I prepared for today's sermon on All Saints, it struck me that people who lead gracious, generous lives create a legacy that is passed down to others. And today, that's what we're celebrating in the sermon. Our scripture lesson comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Amen. I have in my hand today a piece of fine china that is the autumn leaf pattern made by Haviland of France in the middle of the last century. My great-grandmother and my grandmother collected the same pattern. When my parents died, I inherited a china cabinet full of this flatware. And whenever our family gets together on special occasions, my almost five-year-old granddaughter, under very careful supervision, is the sixth generation to use the china. It has a worth beyond its intrinsic value. It is priceless to me. It is a legacy that has been handed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And it is a link between the past and the present and the future. Many here probably have similar legacies or bequests. Things that you treasure in part because of what they are, but also in part because of whose they were. And whenever you see that particular item, it calls to mind those persons from the past that have left such a rich legacy in your life. And it's not just objects. It's not just things. Every one of us here are the people we are today because of the people we associated with yesterday. Family, friends, teachers, co-workers, students, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ have all played a hand in shaping and molding who we are. Paul, in our scripture lesson today, recognizes that reality. He is writing to his protege, 
a young pastor whose name was Timothy. And the New Testament contains two letters. Paul wrote to Timothy, and the church fathers rather creatively named them First Timothy and very good, Second Timothy. Some of you are in disciple Bible study, I can tell. And he begins by saying, I have been reminded of your faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives in you also. Paul recalls this spiritual genealogy that Timothy treasures and how his grandmother and his mother showed the example of what it meant to be a follower of Christ and in many ways were midwives that helped birth him into new life. Part of what we do on All Saints Sunday is recall those persons who have played the role of Lois and Eunice in our lives. Every one of us has those people in our spiritual genealogy. And part of what I invite you to do this day is to pause for just a moment, recall their names, see their faces, and give thanks to God for who they were and are in your life. All Saints has become more and more meaningful to me as I grow older. And as I mentioned earlier, we are all a part of that great communion of saints that spans beyond space and time that unites us with those we love, whether they are here on earth in the church militant or they have gone to the world beyond in the church triumphant. When you read the Bible, part of what you discover is that God is known by a wide variety of names, titles, and images. And each one gives an insight, a glimpse into God's nature and character because God ultimately cannot be known by humans. There is an intriguing title given to God in the Old Testament. The Lord is oftentimes referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I find that interesting because God is defined by relationship. That the scriptures are the story of God entering into relationship or covenant with God's people over and over again. When we read the roll call of our honored dead earlier, we could have prefaced each name with the phrase, the God of, because these beloved saints of God served God in this life. And they've given us this wonderful legacy of faith. And we are who we are today because of who they have been in our lives. The fifth book of the Old Testament is known as Deuteronomy. And it means retelling of the law. The setting is Moses is about to die. The people are standing on the border of the promised land, getting ready to cross over, and Moses gives them a final sermon before he dies, and he has the opportunity to recount their history together. 34 chapter long sermon. Be thankful for 20 minutes this morning. But when you read Deuteronomy, if you pay close attention, you might start to wonder if the old boy was losing it. Let me rehearse the story. You know it. Moses had been sent by God back to Egypt to deliver the people out of slavery. 
And Moses stood before the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And because the king refused, there was a series of plagues, of signs, of wonders. Finally, the Pharaoh relented. Moses led them out to the edge of the Red Sea. And then the king changed his mind and sent his armies after Moses. And there they stood trapped on one side by the water, the other by the armies. And God parted the Red Sea. And the Israelites crossed dry shod. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, the waters came tumbling down and destroyed them. Then Moses led them to Mount Sinai where God gave them the law. And the plan originally was for the people of Israel to go from there to the promised land. But something happened along the way. They rebelled over and over again against God as well as Moses and ultimately were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. By the time Moses preaches this sermon in Deuteronomy to the people, that first generation has died, with the exception of a few leaders like Jacob and Caleb. These are people who were born in the wilderness. But listen to what Moses says in the sermon. We were slaves in Egypt. God delivered us at the Red Sea. We were rebellious in the desert. The punishment for our sin was to wander 40 years in the wilderness. Moses wasn't losing it at all. What he understood was the story has to become our story. That a legacy of faith is not enough. As it is passed down to us, we must claim it and make it our own. It is one thing to say that Jesus is the Savior and Lord is a vastly different life-altering thing to claim Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Last week I had the chance to uh, teach the confirmation class of seventh graders and they prepped questions ahead of time for the senior pastor to answer. And some of them were silly and rather superficial and others dove really, really deep. And part of what I said to them is that God has no grandchildren. That what they're doing in confirmation is claiming their faith for their own. God only has children, sons and daughters, that our fathers and mothers, our patriarchs and matriarchs' faith must become our own. A legacy is not enough. A legacy has to be my faith as well. Today we celebrate the legacy of the past. We claim it in the present. But then there is a third step. We're called to share that legacy with others. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote to the church and rehearsed the very core of the faith of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And he prefaces it by saying, I passed on to you what I received. That is the dynamic of every Christian life. Christian disciples, by definition, make Christian disciples. Discipleship is not complete until we are taking what we have received and passing it on to others and making disciples in turn. I heard the story about a family that was cleaning house. And the mother was in the kitchen and she heard this horrific crash from the den. And her teenage, mother came, her teenage daughter came rushing in, tears on her face, a stricken look on her face. She said, Mom, do you remember that antique vase that's been passed from one generation to the next? This generation just 
dropped it. We're the generation that holds the gospel. This precious legacy that's been passed on to us, and we're called to pass it on to someone else. The Book of Worship of the United Methodist Church has a committal service that is oftentimes used at a graveside. And there's a prayer every time I pray as the leader that just strikes me. And in part it says this, Eternal God, you have shared with us this person's life. Before they were ours, they are yours. For all that this person has given us to make us what we are, and for that of their life which will continue to live and grow in each of us, and for their life that in your love will never end, we give you thanks. That recognition that that legacy goes on far beyond the grave. And whenever I hear that, it strikes me for two reasons. First of all, I do recall those who have set that example and it continues to resonate in my life, but I also realize there's going to come a day and that committal service is used at my graveside. And it charges me to set an example that will continue forward in the generations to come. That by God's grace, others might see Jesus Christ within me. On this All Saints Sunday, we recognize those who have given us such a rich legacy of faith. They are our pioneers. They have gone on before us. One of the things I've discovered as I get older is I need more and more pioneers that are in that next stage of life. Church members who are retired in their 70s, in their 80s, in their 90s, and beyond, so they can show me what it looks like to live as a Christian in that age and stage of life. God's saints, whose name we have called today, have taken that even a step further. They have passed beyond this life into the life to come. And they have fought the good fight and they have run the good race and they have kept the faith and there is a reward laid up before them. And we realize every All Saints Day there will come a day when a candle will be lighted and a bell will be told and our names will be read. That shouldn't fill us with any sort of morbid spirit. Instead, it simply reminds us to live the day that God has given faithfully for our Lord and with assurance know that one day God will hold us now and forevermore. I recall the story of the Jews traveling through the wilderness to the promised land. Uh, the church adopted that imagery over the years. And when we talk about Canaan's happy land, it has become synonymous with heaven. And that the Jordan River is that boundary between this world and the next. We sing the gospel song, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. There's another hymn that captures the imagery of that eternal river that will flow by the throne of God that Revelation describes. And it says, Shall we gather at the river where bright angel feet have trod with its crystal tide forever flowing by the throne of God? Christian author Will Campbell captures that imagery and he says as a child they would sing that in church and in his mind he would see glowing angelic footprints in the mud beside the river and also see the footprints of those who had gone before. Some of you will recognize the name of Dr. Gardner Taylor who served as the pastor at Concord Church of Christ in Brooklyn for 42 years 
and even after he retired, continued to be one of those prominent pastoral voices. Times Magazine called him the Dean of the Nation's Black Preachers. A good friend from college, John Pierce, is the editor of Baptist Today. And he had the opportunity to interview Dr. Taylor before his death. And when he asked him if he had slowed down, he said this, he wasn't done yet, but he could feel the spray of the Jordan on his face. Isn't that amazing imagery? On All Saints Sunday, we celebrate the lives of those who have gone before us. We dip our toes in the water, wade knee-deep out in the stream. We see angelic footprints in the mud and the footprints of others who have gone on before us. And one day, we too will stand before God's throne. And my prayer for each of us this day is that we can feel the spray of the Jordan on our face. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the legacy that is ours, undefiled, unfading, eternal, and for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to share that with others in turn. And we do look forward to that day when we stand with all your saints before the throne forever. And those words echo in our ears. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. Until that day, keep us now and forevermore in Christ's name. Amen.